Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Eli Schwartz, who's an SEO expert and consultant with over a decade of experience in driving successful sales through SEO. He's worked with companies like Shutterstock, Gusto, WordPress, Quora, and Zendesk, among many others. And one of the things I love about this episode is we don't get lost in the weeds of what's effective SEO, what's not effective SEO. Really, he, he paints the big picture for what you should be thinking about SEO and how you can use it effectively to drive sales for your business. He's also the author of a book on Amazon called Product-Led SEO, The Why Behind Building Your Organic Growth Strategy. And we're going to be talking about that why today. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We're going to bring you some good advice today on a topic that I'm particularly passionate about. Not because I know anything about it. Heck, I don't know a clue about this topic, but it's something that I know that you, the listener, have uh, often wondered about, tried to figure out what is this thing that we're trying to do in business. And it is, of course, the topic of SEO. Today, we have a guest who's going to be talking about SEO. It's Eli Schwartz. He's an SEO expert. He's a consultant. He's also the author of a book called Product-Led SEO out April 27th. In fact, if you're listening to this episode, it should be out right now. You need to stop what you're doing. Go buy this book. I think the week of the release is actually only 99 cents. So really nothing to lose, but so much to gain. Check out this book. Eli, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Blake. Well, I, I, you know, I got to ask, you know, SEO, it feels like is this really nefarious, ambiguous. It's like, what the heck am I doing? Everyone seems to talk about it, but it feels like so few people really get it. Uh, Tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background and how you got into SEO. Yeah. So that's why I wrote the book because like, it, it seems like this nefarious thing and I really don't think it should be. You know, unfortunately there are people that sell it in nefarious ways and make lots of money. And (laughs) just met a neighbor the other day who told me they were spending thousands of dollars a month and they sent me the the output that the agency produces. And I was horrified on their behalf. And, you know, hopefully I can get them to people that will rectify that. And maybe that's, if I can just even jump back in, I was talking to a business owner who, and, and again, I don't do any SEO work. I don't know anything about SEO, but we were just talking about his business. And he was like, yeah, I'm spending something like $1,800 a month on SEO. And I was like, well, just curious, like, what do you, like, what do you, what, what kind of leads are you getting? What kind of deals are you getting? Like, what does that look like? And he's like, oh, I haven't gotten a single like closed lead from it. And I was like, well, why are you doing it? And he's like, well, cause you have to, you have to do SEO. So like, uh, there's even like this weird disconnect between like, you have to do it, but then there's this, like, I don't know if we don't no, understand the results. We you should don't have it, to or? do it. No, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I talk to business owners and large businesses and I tell them they do not have to do SEO and they should not do SEO the way I like to think about it. And again, my, my book is geared towards larger companies, but startups can definitely benefit from this. But the way I like to think of this 
is you have a finite amount of money. And sometimes I'm privileged to work with clients that don't have a finite amount of money. And, and there are those kind of companies out there and like they they just spend money at will and I'm happy to work with them. But when any most companies have a finite amount of money, so you say, okay, we have let's we're gonna make it really small. You have a thousand dollars per month that you can spend on marketing. And for some reason, they think they have to spend that money in SEO without knowing what sort of ROI they're going to get from it. So if they have a small amount of finite money, again, $1,000. Now, when you're doing SEO, you're going to buy some content. You're going to be cheap with that content. So you're going to get terrible content. You're going to you know, hire someone in some country where they don't necessarily have a great economy. So they're willing to accept a few dollars to write thousands of, you know, a couple thousand words. That's not good content. When a user finds that content on, on search, they're not going to convert. That is a waste of money. So again, if you have a small amount of money, put it into channels that will work for you. Put it into my favorite channels, paid marketing, because you can get immediate gratification. Is this working? Is this not working? I would say SEO, like if you don't know if it's going to work for you, don't invest that money while you can't afford to. The same goes with influencer. Like people are like, well, I have an influencer. Like, well, what'd you get for that tweet or that Instagram post or the TikTok? Like you should know. And SEO, like, I think it should be the same. You've got to measure by ROI and revenue. But does it feel like, and, and I, I do want to get back to sort of like yeah, your we, origins. I, I jumped into well, that. Well, Sorry. This is what's so powerful. I think about talking about this is like already there's so many insights that I, I don't know really where I want to start with this. It, it feels like, and you just said it really well on the person who like pays for an influencer, they pay for a tweet or they pay for what have you. It feels like there's this weird ambiguity around, um, really not knowing what you should be getting out of your marketing and advertising specifically with SEO. And it, it, and I don't want to paint every marketer this way, but it almost feels like some businesses are a little bit, um, I don't know if the words withholding, like, like a customer will ask, well, what am I going to get out of this work with you? And often the response is, well, it's really, you know, this is a long-term investment. It really takes time. You know, it's really, which, which is absolutely true in many cases, but it also, I think, leaves the customer not really knowing what should I be asking for or expecting in terms of actual sales and results for my business. I don't know if that's common in your world, if you're seeing that as much as I am, but I'm also you know, scrolling through Facebook, seeing the gurus, you know, all the bad business practices. You know, when you work with someone, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're pretty clear on expectations and what they can get out of working with you. Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is I, I, my book is called Product-Led SEO and I'm doing Product-Led SEO, which means we're building a product for the user that will be coming from search. We're not creating content targeted at keywords just because a keyword research tool told us that someone may search that. And even if someone may search it and they find your content and it's no different than everyone else that used that keyword research tool to told them to write the exact same piece of content. Why are you better? Why should Google think you're better? Why if a user comes to you, are you going to convert that user? And I've worked with clients where they ranked on some really good terms. Like, I'll, here's a good example. Working with a two-sided marketplace, they were, um, I don't want to give away which kind of marketplace we're in, but they, they focused on one side of the marketplace, which was a little bit more of a boring side of the marketplace. Uh, let's say they were um, in a hiring space and they focused on the employers and the more exciting side of the marketplace was the people looking for jobs. So in this case, they were ranking really, really well on the job seeking side of the marketplace, but they made their money on the employer side of the marketing space. So now all these people, I get all this traffic and they're like number one on Google for this great term and they got zero conversions. 
It did nothing for them. And when they asked me what to do with the piece of content, I told them they might as well delete it. Like it's, it is not doing anything for them. So if they measure themselves by their first positions and their, their traffic that came in, great. They deserve some sort of trophy. But if not, it didn't do anything for the business. So why bother? And they invested a lot of money to that. They wrote good content and they, they built tools around it. And that's not the client. Like, why would you bother? Do you find yourself having those honest conversations a lot? I mean, that, that can be a gut punch to a business owner, especially for larger businesses where it's not just one person making a decision, but it's a team of people who, um, I, I don't know if you remember the, um, oh, I can't remember the, the famous influencer who did like the Pepsi commercial that was widely panned and it, it came out that they decided to do it internally. And so you have these departments within companies who they think they know what's best and yet they bring on someone else who says, hey, that's not really a good idea. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how do you have these honest conversations and sometimes uh, tell people to delete a piece of content they've spent a lot of money on? Yeah. So this particular company has, I think, 3,000 employees. And the person I was working with was four levels below the CMO. So I would convince her, all right, we're going to get rid of this. She would go convince her boss who was like on board. And then she would go to her boss and then it was done. They came back and were like, all right, so how do we promote this piece of content? It's at position two. How do we get to position one? I'm like, did you forget our conversation about how this doesn't do anything for us? So like, that is a problem when you have like the hippo, right? The highest paid person's opinion. Or is it paid <laughs> or whatever, whatever that- I've the, never heard uh, this before. This is, I'm oh, totally going to use this though. This is great. Oh yeah, hippo. This. So, so yeah. like, and, and uh, we didn't, we didn't talk about my background. I even got to it. But yes, <laughs> my, my background was working in companies and discovering that hippos had terrible ideas. Like, what, what I like to do, and again, I focus on the product instead of just writing on content, understand the dynamics of the organization. And I typically work with bigger companies. So you have this person, you have this C-suite person who feels really strongly that everyone needs to find them on Bing and you need to invest a ton of money on Bing. So you need to tell this C-suite person that you're going to accomplish that while realizing that is not how you're going to get a bonus. Because at the end of the day, the C-suite's not stupid. They just kind of sort of think that that's a good idea. So I have this in my book. It's like, how do you satisfy both requirements? Actually making money with the efforts you're putting out there and also getting the C-suite off your back. You know, a bigger problem I have is like, you know, when I've worked with multiple public companies and they're, they're amazing, but they have to forecast. So when you create like this channel acquisition strategy from SEO, they don't want like, well, uh, you know, I think it's going to do well. You kind of have to give a number that they're sort of going to give a number to someone else. And then that ends up in a Wall Street forecast. And they don't want to hear a click curve on a familiar with click curve, which is like, oh, position two, this is the click through rate. They want to hear like, here's how much money I'm going to create from SEO. And they don't want to know at all how that sausage is made. So <laughs> that, that becomes part of the challenge. And like when I work with these bigger companies, yes, I'm doing those tactics, but those tactics have to roll into a strategy which ends up being the same strategy and the same measured effort that every other channel does. Like my favorite kind of companies that really, really get this kind of things are, are the ones that spend multiple million dollars per month on paid marketing. No one spends, and I'm talking about like search paid marketing. No one's like, well, what did you get for your search paid marketing? I spent 2 million bucks. And like, well, look at how many first positions we have on Google. Anyone that wants can click. They're going to want to know like, okay, they clicked and then what happened? So I think organic needs to be measured the exact same way. So when you when I have those conversations with people that lead those teams, they, they suddenly get it. They're like, oh, I get it. Like, why would I spend 2 million bucks to just brag about my positions? Good moving over to SEO. Why would I care only about positions? I need to know revenue. And just a little tip for 
I don't know if you have any you know, agencies or consultants that listen to the podcast. I always do top down and use the biggest number first in order to get more budget for SEO. Whereas many SEO agencies and even employees, they use the lowest number, which is right now you spend $0 whatsoever on SEO. I'd like to suggest you spend $1,000 and buy this new content. And immediately, you know, the person you're asking the budget from throws up their hands and they say, no, we spend zero. What am I going to get for this $1,000? But if I start top down and say, well, look, you spend $2 million a month on paid marketing. I'm just asking for $1,000. Can we try 1000 And the yes couldn't come faster. So like, mm. you know, I have been very successful in companies. The larger they spend on paid marketing, the more I can peel off. Like there's a company I'm working with right now. They spend $10 million on paid marketing. I just had a conversation with them. We talked about how many content writers they can get. And I said, well, we could probably start with three content writers and help them chip away at some of the, the library of content we want to create. And the person actually said to me, can we get 300? Like, no, like logistically, that sounds crazy to onboard 300 people at the same time, <laughs> but, but you're spending $10 million on paid marketing. And what's 300 content writers? And these are contractors. Like what's that going to cost them, you know, in comparison to that $10 million on paid marketing drop in the bucket. Right. So like that would be my tip for anybody looking at approaching these things, but more importantly, they are the same channel. So it is fair to use that number and say, here's what you pay for on search. Here's what you're going to get. It's not free because it's an investment, but here's what you're going to get for free clicks on search. So that's the way I like to approach that. Well, you're talking about even, it's interesting because we're talking about not just like doing the work that you're gifted in, but also all of the added complexities of like negotiating and um, really like winning over decision makers. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your background because it sounds like you have a knack for this. And it's, it is something that I think many of us in business have to learn how to do because as, as we just heard from you, it's not enough just to be able to be good at your what you offer, you do have to be able to do all these other things when it comes to your clients. What's your story? What's your, what's your history? Yeah. All right. Now we're getting back to that. Yeah, the original, the first question, we finally got back to it. So I, I started my career in online marketing at a company called Quinn Street, which is their lead generation company. And they sort of plugged in between people that knew how to drive traffic and people that knew how to, um, and people that wanted to buy that traffic and that they created. So uh, for example, I was there in 2006 to 2008. And at the time, there were a lot of mortgage companies and banks that are no longer in existence that they were very, very excited by buying the worst credit leads possible. Like if someone had no job and they wanted to buy a million dollar house, that was a very valuable lead. Unlike someone that had great credit and a job and wanted to buy an affordable house, there's like, well, that, we're, we'll take that for free. So, and then I worked with these websites. They knew how to drive the traffic. They knew how to rank on terms. So I'm working with these sites and I learned, I knew a little bit about SEO and I see these people and they were absolute geniuses at building websites and ranking them on Google. I wanted to copy everything they did. So I read everything they did. I reverse engineered those sites and I started calling myself an SEO and applying for SEO jobs. And, uh, you know, luckily someone took a bet on me and thought that I actually knew SEO. I get a job at a startup and uh, our goal was to, it was an automotive content startup. Our goal was to build and rank websites for every single car possible. So a uh, little known fact at the time, possibly still true, the most monetized space on the internet after uh, porn is automotive. Because if you think about it, like 
there aren't that many things you're going to buy directly from the internet. You may buy a house, right? You'll do some research, but you're not going to go and fill out a lead and then buy a house. Right. Whereas automotive, average car, $20,000, $30,000. You do that research, fill out a lead, you go to a dealer, and like that's a very expensive lead. So that's so company I was working for, they were really trying to tackle that space. There was only two market leaders at the time, Edmunds.com and KBB. And our goal was to be number three. And we achieved it. Through SEO, we achieved that goal. And then Google decided we didn't do it right. And they took away 80% of our traffic in one day. So that is sort of how I got my master's in SEO by like losing all the things I'd done prior to that event. We bought links, did everything dirty, all the shadiest SEO tactics, made tons of money from it. And then we lost our traffic. And I learned for the next two years how to build really great traffic back, build authoritative websites, great technical SEO. And you know, from there, I was sort of off and running with you know being able to do consulting. I left that company after about four years, went to SurveyMonkey, where I was very fortunate in that the company was very, very new. Uh, or sorry, it was very, very early on in their sort of second coming of a company. They were they started by ten people, private equity invested in I think 2010, and I joined in 2012. So there were only about 100 people at the time. Great brand, no traffic, no organic traffic, just all SurveyMonkey. You know, people Google the word SurveyMonkey. So website translated into 16 languages, no rankings whatsoever globally. And I learned this process of like how to build SEO within a big company. And I have these stories in my book where I had great ideas and best practices and I'd go and bring them to the engineers and they would say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not listening to you. You have no idea what you're talking about. And that is how I learned the processes of of navigating and negotiating and, and getting people on board and finding out when a best practice is not a best practice and how I can get like, you know, things aligned and learning words like roadmap, you know, prior to like, you know, that role, I was at a startup. When we wanted to do something, we needed to launch something new. I shouted it to the engineer and then the engineer did it. And then we <laughs> waited for the result. You know, when you're at a bigger company, you explain, you pitch, mm-hmm. then they say, well, that's something we're going to put on the back burner, right? Back burners are terrible places to be. <laughs> or, you know, you go and tell someone and they go tell someone else. And before you know it, your thing is gone. So, you know, working at SurveyMonkey ended up with some really, really amazing consulting gigs where that was the challenge. Everyone sort of knew what they needed to do, but they couldn't actually do that. And, you know, I've been privileged to work with some amazing companies where they are only able to be successful in SEO because they can bring people to the table. They can, you know, convince others to join the effort. So many times everyone can point at something and say, well, this is not ideal. We don't rank well on Google and we'll just leave it like that. You know, uh, the company I'm working with right now, they have a terrible website infrastructure. So every time a team wants to do some sort of new initiative, they make an actual new domain. And, you know, the company has multiple thousands of employees and everyone knows that's a terrible idea, but no one can really get in the same room to go fix that. So Mm. they just keep doing that. So that's what I do from a consulting standpoint, really help develop a strategy that is custom for a company and make it happen. And I personally love like this diplomacy and, and you know being successful because ultimately at a startup, it may be changing a title tag. At a larger company, it's convincing the legal team that it's okay to change the title tag. It's convincing a marketing team that it's okay, we're not changing the brand. It's convincing the engineering team that just because they said it's going to take them 10 hours, it's not going to take them 10 hours. And then QA, like, you know, there are all those different processes, which actually all have to happen. So yes, the end of the day, I can look back and say, it took me six weeks to change a title tag. But if not for me doing all this, that title tag would not have changed. That's <laughs> it. You know, all the bigger companies I look back at, we didn't accomplish a lot. 
but no one else was going to accomplish anything either. And again, I love this stuff. Like there was a, I was at a meeting two weeks ago with a client title tag changes with the engineering team and the uh, lead engineer, the end of the meeting was like, this sounds great. Come back with changes and we'll schedule another meeting. So now we're talking at a smaller company the meeting would have been over and that would have been executed on at this bigger company. It will be at least four to six weeks before they do what is a little thing. So for startups out there, and then one of the reasons I don't end up consulting with a lot of startups is I can't add value. I tell them what to do. They do it. And then they're like, well, when do we get our results? And I'm like, now you sit and wait with larger companies. I tell them what to do. And then I tell them what to do. And then I tell them what to do. And then they say, okay, it didn't work. What should we do? I'm like, you didn't do it. We have to go do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, so like, you know, or like I said earlier, that example with we had the wrong content, I can tell them. And then the boss comes in and says, no, 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 I really like that. Let's continue to invest there. So again, that that's my thing. I love the corporate, you know, marathon, but other people, they, they despise it. Yeah. So it never, it never exhausts you having to like, uh, cause that, that example is so true in the corporate world of the four to six week timeline and then meetings after meetings. I think it's Seth Godin or someone who has the book death by meetings, you know, where it's just like, we have to have a meeting about the upcoming meeting or, you know, things like that. Um, first of all, I, I think it's incredible that you are so gifted at it, but I'm amazed that you don't get exhausted by it or tired at it. Um, it sounds like you get excited over it, which maybe you're just like a masochist or something. I don't know. Okay. Well, one little secret. I do get paid on retainer. So the longer it takes them to do these things, they usually keep me on. The second piece is like, you know, at the end, when they launch these things, I'm able to look back and say, we, this is how we got there. And I'm not an SEO agency. I work by myself and I have a couple of people that help me and I don't ever intend to be an SEO agency. Well, most SEO agencies do. And now we're going all the way back to the beginning of the podcast here. We asked me like about nefarious work. Most SEO agencies, because they're not able to get anything done because they're not within a company, they're deliverable based. So their deliverables are, here's your content roadmap. These are, this is the content you should go produce. Their deliverables are, here are the links we built, not whether those links matter or they'll, they give a report. Here's how your traffic is. Whereas I'm not deliverable based. I'm embedded within a team with the larger companies I work with. I'm on their Slack and, you know, some of them even send me a laptop for security reasons. They want me to only use their laptop. Like I'm embedded with the teams. I understand. I try to understand the culture in some of the biggest companies I'm in. I have more data access than some actual employees, because when I get onboarded, they give me data access. Some other employees, they don't even know who to approach. So I become that conduit and I meet all the other employees within the company. And again, there are thousands of employees and I become that internal SEO expert. So no one else would ever be able to accomplish that unless they're in the company. And again, like SEO agencies, they're only going to be deliverable based unless they embed someone within that company. So it, it doesn't tire me because like I'm accomplishing things at a snail's pace. And just a, a, an example of a nefarious SEO agency, one of the clients I worked with, I asked them about content and just trying to get onboarded and seeing what they'd done in the past. And they showed me a Google Drive of content that an agency had produced for them that they paid $2 million for. So $2 million worth of content in a Google Drive. They never published it. The contract with the the agency was to create the content. They couldn't publish it because there was no counterpart. They didn't even have, this company didn't even have CMS. They had no way to put that content on the web. And the best thing about large companies, I don't know if you've ever worked in is like, no one's responsible unless they're responsible. So no one got fired over the $2 million because they just moved on. It's like someone else had done it. They weren't at the company anymore. So it's like, well, that was a waste. 
And like, I'm sure that they don't even know where that Google Drive is now. Like when all those people leave, someone's gonna be like, hey, why do we have this Google Drive of like, you know, 1800 pieces of content? No one will know. But like at a startup, you'll never do that. Like you spend $2 million on content. Like you're going to be checking in with the agency every day and be like, did we make money? Did we make money? Right? Like with big companies, it's like, oh yeah, that was 2018's initiative. We're, we're done. Like this is what we're doing for 2020. And I find that with my own consulting, it's like sometimes I get you know fired by a client because they're just bored. They wanted to move on to the next shiny object and, and that's okay. And you know what I find is they, if SEO is a problem, they come back. But if they don't, like, I can't convince them that that should be their passion and that should be their shiny object. Well, it's amazing. The uh, it, it almost feels like it. I don't know if, 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 if every SEO company who does this is purposely doing it like in a malicious way, but I think many companies do recognize that that shiny object, that deliverable is really exciting sometimes. Uh, I was hiring an SEO company and they gave me, it was like an executive report on some company they had worked with in the past. And they had like this, you know, they had charts on charts on charts. Like here's all the things we've done for this company. But they had this graph with this linear line. And like in the middle, they had a, uh, a vertical line saying like, this is the date we began working with this company. And here's how, here's how their company like grew in revenue or wh- whatever afterwards. But the problem was it was, a, it was a linear line. And so I was just pointing out, I was like, well, that, that was, I was actually just growing normally before and after that point. And I asked him about, it. I was like, what's, what's going on here? And he was like, well, the line clearly shows that it went up after we worked with them. And I was like, yeah, but it was already going up beforehand. And he was like, yeah, but it kept going up instead of like going down. I was like, but why would it go down? The point that I'm getting at is I find myself in these conversations where, um, and again, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but where people are sort of profiting off of misconceptions that people have, or not even just misconceptions, but a lack of an ability to interpret data or understand numbers or understand really how things are working. And so what something gets pulled over them because they're like, Oh yeah, the number did go up. That's great. I should hire you when really the company's not doing anything at all. I'm curious what kinds of misconceptions you find yourself having to educate your clients on and, um, you know, lovingly correct them on and help them understand better, especially when maybe in the past they have worked with a company that has led them astray, so to speak, in terms of how things work in the SEO world. Yeah, there are a number of things. So like, again, I don't think that the SEO agencies are necessarily bad people and nefarious themselves, but the way that they're judged is judged, they're judged on deliverables and they're judged on, on quantitative aspects rather than what SEO should be, which is qualitative. So one of the things that many SEO agencies do is they give page speed reports. So I worked with a company, they, um, they're an analytics company. They've raised hundreds of millions of dollars. They have a snippet of code on tens of thousands of websites across the internet. And before they hired me, you know, first of all, I wasn't that successful with them. Many times I'm not successful with companies because they're not actually able to build anything. But before they hired me, they'd worked with a large agency, one of those, you know, big four letter agencies. And that, that agency, I saw their proposal. One of the things they said was wrong with this company was their page speed. Now, keeping in mind that this analytics company had a snippet of code on, on thousands of websites across the internet they did not have a page speed problem, right? They couldn't have a page speed problem or all these companies wouldn't work with them. But on like some sort of metric, they were red, right? When they measured page speed, they were red. That is not the way I believe page speed works. I believe that 
Google is trying to incentivize people to make their websites faster. When you're slower than your baseline and whatever your base, your baseline is always going to be your, your competitors. When you're slower, they may take you out on mobile only, on slower connections only. But just to say you're red, you don't, you're bad, you're yellow, you're sort of okay, green, you're in the right territory. That is again, an analytics company spends, you know, they have data centers with their snippet. What are they supposed to do? Like spend more millions of dollars to get more data centers? Like this is not something that's fixable. So that's one I've seen people take advantage of. Another one is links. So links are really, really important in the Google patents of how the Google algorithm should work. And in just a quick overview, the, what Google did differently than any of the other search engines in the early 2000s is the other search engines were basically phone books. And that's why there's like a lot of websites to start with A, like, you know, they're directories. So I don't know if you, you remember the old Yahoo directory, you were looking for something and you like found the letter you're looking for. And then you sorted me like, I want a pest control company. And there's like letter A. So I'm like, call letter A. It's a I phone book. I actually had like a, an alphabet, like the letters below the search bar and you could click on the letters to see the listings. Yeah, exactly that. And AOL, their comparison was like, you can own a keyword. So like you would partner with AOL and be like, I'm cars. So if you, anybody types cars, like <laughs> automatically fine. Right. So what Google did differently is they, you know, approached it from a, a, you know, an academic standpoint, which is we want to look for something that should be the authority and whatever is the authority will technically have more links. And we're going to calculate the authority of all links. So we'll know which links are good. So that's, that's the year 2000. That's the late nineties. It's now 2021. They are so far beyond that. Like, you know, I, I live in Texas now, but I just moved from the Bay Area. And, you know, in all the streets around the Bay Area, Google has these cars. They're called Waymo cars, which is Google's autonomous driving division. And they don't kill anybody. They don't run over anything. Like just for fun, I would like pull in front of them and slow down to see like at what speed the, the car would actually change lanes itself, decide that look, this guy in front of me is just slowing me down. <laughs> they, they can think and act for themselves. So I'm not saying that the same algorithms are deployed on search that are deployed in cars, but a company that's smart enough to drive a car can pretty much figure out that a link on some you know random blog that is like one day they talk about pets and the next day they talk about insurance. The day after that, they talk about mortgage. That's not a real blog, right? Mm. Or uh, a link in something like Forbes, you know, not to trash all of Forbes, but Forbes does have lower bars for uh, what sort of links will end up there. They have AI that can figure that out. Now, most people don't know that when they're being, when their agency tells them they're getting links. So they say, oh, wow, you got me a link in Forbes. The way I like to look at it is like, will anybody actually click that link? Because Google will understand how deep is that link? How authoritative is that piece of content? Who else links to that piece of content? You know, again, they're using all sorts of AI on it. So if you popped up a, a link, and again, this my, na- my neighbor showed me this yesterday. If you popped up a link and said, wow, this looks fake, Google's AI can probably do the exact same thing. So that's, again, another thing that agencies are selling and they shouldn't be selling. And then the third thing is rankings. So I don't believe that rankings really matter because it doesn't matter where you are on Google if no one actually clicks. And if people click, if they're not going to convert, there's no point in that ranking. Mm-hmm. But again, the agencies need to be measured by some sort of metric. So they are using rankings as deliverable and they're creating these rankings reports and sharing them with clients and all that. So again, not being nefarious, I think what they need to do and what I end up doing with many of my clients is helping them to build revenue tracking, helping them to understand what this channel does for them. And then from there, you create a strategy around driving more revenue from organic search. But without that, if I, all I would do is share rankings with them. So great, they're visible, but they're not going to drive any revenue. And I got to tell you, like same problems I have with like launching anything. With analytics, most of the companies I work with, it is absolutely impossible. If they have never measured this channel at all, and they have no sort of 
event set up to go measure this channel. If I can't get a title tag set up, you can imagine how difficult it is to like get into an analytics system and set up a new tracker. And it could be months. And all we're doing is they're like, well, how do we know that this is working? And I have to like really guide them to the point of like, I think it's working, but we have to build analytics. So, you know, when it comes to analytics, Google and Facebook are really good at showing that the click that they drove and that you paid for turned into something because they want you to do more of that. On organic, Google's not really going to help you do that. So you have to build that on your own. And that is not easy. No, and I, I, especially for a smaller business owner who maybe doesn't have those systems and tools in place, I think it is really challenging. But you've really got me thinking, you know, I'm a small business owner and I was just on a call with an SEO agency literally less than a week ago. And we weren't talking about my business, but we got on the subject of my business. And it's funny what you just said, because he said, yeah, your number one priority should be getting links for your website, uh, just wherever you can get them, however you can get them. And so I, I, you mentioning like one of the most common things that SEO rec agencies recommend, I'm thinking, yeah, that's actually exactly what was just recommended to me. And it almost feels a little gimmicky in the sense of, okay, because well, it's a deliverable. It's something well, they can email you and say, we did it. <laughs> now you have to pay us. Well, because I'm thinking like, okay, so now my strategy for going my business is getting the website linked in as many places as possible. Rather, And, and I, I get it in some ways, but in other ways, I'm thinking about, and I love what you said, really drilling in on those actual revenue channels, uh, which seems to make a bit more intuitive sense. And yet you have these agencies who are saying, no, you got to get the more links, you got to get more, you know, higher on the rankings, et cetera. Um, so I, I think you've done a good job nailing some of those misconceptions and those common recommendations from agencies. Yeah. And again, it's because they need to give a deliverable, not that they're trying to do anything bad, but like, you know, I work with my clients and sometimes they're like, well, what did you actually do for us? And, and like, I'll, I'll be like, well, I, I sat on Slack for six hours and I, I attended this meeting and, you know, your legal team threw up like red flags because they wanted, they were on a power trip. Like that's what I did. Whereas like, if you don't have the opportunity to do that, then you can be like, well, what I did was I got you 60 links that no one's going to look at. And like, there's a marketplace for that. Those 60 mm. links they got, they like paid somebody else and like, you know, planted them on some sort of network. You know, back in the day, you know, Google had AI to identify this. They penalize you for it. And be like, well, it looks like you're doing bad linking. Now they don't really, they just ignore it. It doesn't count at all in the algorithm. It is absolutely quality over quantity. Mm. Well, this Eli, this has been an incredible episode. You've got me thinking about a lot for my own business. Um, for people who are listening, who are thinking about, okay, where do I go next? What do I do next? Maybe they want to chat with you, learn more from you, especially buy the book from you. What does that look like for them? So I love being found on LinkedIn. That's where like, you know, I don't, I have my own site, elishwartz.co. I'm optimized for only one thing. I'm optimized for myself, right? Like I don't think anybody should hire an SEO agency because they're number one for SEO. Like I, I think I do well on like the term international SEO, but don't hire me because like I do well for that term you should like do all your research. And we're way past that time where like you Google me, like I want pizza. Oh, number one for pizza. I'm going there. Right. Like <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So find me on LinkedIn, find me on my site, buy the book. You know, I love talking to people and learning about things you're doing. If someone's early on and, you know, not in a large company, by all means, like I think my book can help you think about how SEO should work for you. The tactics you know, I don't think a lot of the tactics have changed in 20 years. Every time an algorithm update happens, 
it doesn't, the tactics don't change. You're still creating great content. You're still doing good processes for users. You know, we're, this isn't whack-a-mole. Like Google is actually improving and going in a direction of better AI. And I think the direction Google wants to go is as if it was, all of Google was human curated. So just imagine that, like that's the direction you want to go. Not like finding some sort of loophole that Google will eventually close. So you know, I think my book applies to everyone. I did, you know, spend a lot of time talking about my own career, which is on larger companies. But I, I think the thought processes work for every, anyone and everyone that has questions around SEO. No, that's great. And where will the book be available? On Amazon. And I think anywhere else books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Eli, thanks for joining today. I appreciate it. It was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. Hey, for the listeners, absolutely check out that book, Product-Led SEO, available on Amazon. And again, on the week of April 27th, it's going to be available for 99 cents. I'm going to buy a copy. And if you email me, I'll even buy you a copy up to a certain number of my listeners. Uh, so send me an email, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com, and I'll send you a copy as, as well. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, click that follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And hey, don't forget, we are on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast or even get your business recognized and advertised on the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash good advice. As always, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. See ya.